Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Wednesday, December 1st. Today on the show, we'll have your golden nuggets from the guys at Club and Country trying to explain what exactly happened in the penalty kick situation for Nashville SC. We will talk with Chris Lee of VandySports.com to take a State of the Union look at the Vanderbilt Commodores football program. But we begin with the LSU hiring of Brian Kelly and the opening at Oklahoma and what it means for SEC football moving forward. We are brought to you every single morning by the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. They are Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm, and they've been award-winning and successful in this market for over a decade for a reason, because you can trust them and because their process works. Go to the website, have a conversation, BuildKG.com. Just talk to the great people over at the Kingston Group. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So the USC Trojans fired a major shot across the bow of college football when they lured Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley to the West Coast with guarantees of private jets and lots of money and access to lots of West Coast recruits. You could argue that Oklahoma is a better job than USC. And SEC fans might be asking, why do I care about this? Well, it's very easy to see, or at least speculate, that Lincoln Riley didn't want any part of the SEC. Oklahoma now has to hire a football coach after 25 years of dominance in the sport to enter the SEC. And that is not going to be a small task. There's a lot of great coaches who would want that job. But if they hire the wrong guy, Oklahoma will enter the SEC and become a middle-of-the-pack team. Not somebody up there with LSU and Georgia and Alabama, which is where they've been for the last few years in the Big 12. So this is a huge hire for one of the best athletic directors, Joe Castiglione, in the entire industry. Because who he gets in this particular hire is going to determine how Oklahoma enters the SEC. So it better be someone that can recruit. Not to be outdone, Scott Woodward, the athletic director at LSU, pulled an even bigger coup by landing Notre Dame head football coach Brian Kelly. LSU fans, you're all going to hate Brian Kelly because, I don't know, he's Brian Kelly and he couldn't quote-unquote win the big one at Notre Dame. But what I see this move as is one of the best coaches in America, the winningest coach in Notre Dame history, and arguably one of the best talent developers in all of America, looking at his opportunity to win a national championship at Notre Dame and saying, I don't think I can get it done here. I have to fish in a bigger pond. I'm going to head down to LSU, where you don't even have to be an elite coach to win national championships. The last two guys were very not elite, Les Miles and Coach O, and they both won national championships. Brian Kelly saw dollar signs. There's, that's obviously a huge part of it. But Notre Dame is about to find out if it makes the playoffs this Sunday and he decides to leave his team before they even have a chance to make the playoffs, they're a top six or seven team. This is a team that could make the playoffs. Have I mentioned they could make the playoffs still? So for him to leave, it had to have been a demand by LSU to get started on recruiting right away, which is going to be the big question. We know Brian Kelly can coach. We know he can develop. We know he can build a program. We know he can make the playoff. He's done it multiple times at a program that doesn't recruit the best players, Notre Dame. Now he's going to have a chance to recruit the best players. And if he can combine the ability to recruit the best players with all the other things we know he can do, well, then LSU will be competing with Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, and all the rest for the best in the SEC. With Clark Lee's first full season complete, all 12 games, and the Titans on a bye, I thought it would be a perfect time to take a look at the Vanderbilt Commodores football program in Clark Lee's first season. What did they accomplish? Have they made progress? What is the direction this program is headed in? So we bring in Chris Lee of VandySports.com as well as Southeastern14.com 
to take stock of what the first year looked like for the Vanderbilt Commodores. Now that we've seen 12 games of the Clark Lee era, one season is in the books. Sort of give us your thoughts, the state of the union on the progress this program has made in the 11 months that he's been in charge. Well, you look and it's still a bleak picture, right? I'm looking at all the major computer polls this morning. I think the highest they are is 107 in Massey. They're consensus bottom three power five program right now. Kansas, Arizona, Vanderbilt in some order, right? So it's not pretty. But you also look at the start of the year, you say they lost to ETSU, they got their doors blown off by Georgia and some other programs. I mean, for the last six games, they were competitive with other teams. Now, look, when the bar is so low where it starts, and I said before the season, look, I just don't know they have how they have the talent to compete with much of anybody in the SEC. Would you have liked for things to have been better and for them to be more competitive more the year? Yeah. But I go back and I look at the talent, Braden and especially the overall speed and athleticism. And you kind of say, where was that going to come from? So you you run into kind of a hard place either way because you felt like the coaching could have been better on offense. The production could have been better. They could have gotten more out of Ken Seals. But then you look around, and especially the state of the offensive line, and it just wasn't really pretty. The speed on defense wasn't pretty. Could they have gotten more out of this team? Yes. How much more? I don't know, but it's not a lot. Do you feel like that this is, though, a different situation for Clark Lee and Vanderbilt, considering how much conversation we've had? We've got renderings and drawings and you know press releases of financial commitment, and there's gonna, they're going to do all this work to try to help the program. Does it feel like this, even though you just painted, it, like you said, a bleak picture of where the program is, and, and ideally you recruit a little bit better and you develop and you you know, a year of the system and you get a little bit better next year. But does it feel different because of all the other stuff that's been happening through the university itself? It does to me. You know, the one caveat is the timeline. They haven't really done a good job of announcing. My sources have told me 2024 to 25 is when stuff's going to be finished. And that makes it harder to recruit. Let's just be honest. Most of the kids on campus aren't going to see that if that's right. But on the other hand, look, they never do anything. They've never done anything as long as you and I have been alive of significance. I mean, it took them moving heaven and earth to get the indoor practice facility, which they're now building another one. So I think you you can't look at it any other way than to say it's significant, right? Because the renderings are, are pretty impressive. I know people that have seen more than what's out there. Nobody, even their worst critic, disputes that the stuff they're doing is going to be really nice. And so you have that. You just wish for Clark Lee that the timeline was a little faster than what I'm hearing because, my goodness, they've got to find players, and players want facilities and stuff, and the sooner they can get them, the better. How's recruiting look? I think it looks okay, um, but but the problem is, you know, in the SEC, you can have a good class at Vanderbilt and still be 12th, 13th in the league. Now, I, I think there's a big difference in being 80th or 90th in the country and, and 45th or 40th, and I think they're going to land – closer to the better end of that. I do think that does make a difference, but as everybody knows, it's just always an uphill climb when you're in this league. Chris, always a pleasure, man. You can catch them all over, all over the place. Southeastern14.com. Of course, you got the podcast, all the, the YouTube channel there, as well as VandySports.com as well. Chris, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Braden. Well, it is Wednesday and it's time for your golden nuggets from the guys at Club and Country. And as we get further away from Nashville SC's season-ending loss to Philadelphia, of course, the big question is going to be what happened in the penalty kick situation. If you'll remember, they missed all four of their penalty kicks after playing 1-1 for 120 minutes with Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference semifinals on Sunday, in case you missed it. 
and the guys, Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan, who always try to make everybody a little bit smarter soccer fans in Music City, discussed exactly what went wrong for Nashville SC in the penalty kick situation. Nashville SC is only the third team in league playoff history to fail to convert a penalty kick when... Another record. Another another <laughs> one, that's right. Uh, the first two of those, by the way, happened against SKC's Tim Melia, who is a superb penalty kick stopper uh, and had uh, actually one of those last year. So, Tim, uh, as, as we discuss what went wrong for Nashville SC from the spot, I want you to rank these factors for me. Was it lack of composure... Was it poor choices to take the kicks? And, I mean, I don't think you can say that when you've got the two guys who've made PKs for you this year stepping to the spot. Or just great goalkeeping. Yeah, I think when you look at even great goalkeepers need a little bit of luck. So I think the fourth factor might even be the biggest one. And it is it is luck. Andre Blake made two great saves, but, um, you know, there was a bit of bad luck. Godoy's penalty in particular was not even close to that bottom corner. He saved uh, Blake saved it like with his chest, even though he had, had dove past it. So there is an element of luck there. And as I mentioned before, once Mukhtar's penalty was saved, you felt the wind go out of the sails. And from there, the Nashville SC players weren't composed. I think a lack of composure did play a big role going into that. And then in terms of, uh, you know, the selections of penalty takers. I can't get too worked up about that because hardly anyone on Nashville's team has a robust history of it in competition. I believe Walker Zimmerman has taken as many as anybody else on the team and has been historically pretty good. The issue is there just isn't a a resume that we can look at from the outside and say, here's how good these guys are. Gary Smith has had these guys taking penalty kicks pretty much every training session, um, you know, for the better part of two years for, for all four of these guys. And sometimes you just have bad luck. That was West Bowling Tim Sullivan, of course, Club and Country, the podcast out every single Tuesday covering Nashville SC, and they will have you covered all throughout the offseason with all of the big roster moves and all the new changes from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference. The season gets started again in a couple of months, so don't go anywhere, folks. They've got you covered for all the biggest offseason news for Nashville SC soccer. I, I guess they tried to explain it there with what went wrong on the penalty kicks. It's a dubious honor to go 0 for 4, as I said uh, on the show on Monday. Pretty tough to watch for my 5-year-old, much less the uh, 39-year-old dad. So uh, bad taste in your mouth, and hopefully that motivates the guys throughout the course of the offseason. Make sure you check out the Club and Country Podcast everywhere podcasts are found. The 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They are award-winning for a reason. Their process has been successful over 10 years for a reason. And, of course, my family uses them for a reason. BuildKG.com is the website. Check it out. Give them a call. Just have a conversation. The Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, make sure you're checking out all the other great shows from the 440 Sports Network. you got Club and Country. Wes and Tim did a fantastic job on Tuesday breaking down the loss to Philadelphia and what the offseason is going to look like for Nashville SC. Of course, you got the Football and Other F-Words podcast out there ranting and raving about the Titans' loss. Music City Audible from Broadway Sports Media as well. We've got Fringe Element, of course, covering all of the big coaching news in the SEC. That one, of course, out on Wednesday. So make sure you check out all the other great shows. Please share the product. We do appreciate it. That is how we grow it. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been the 444 Wednesday, December 1st. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. <laughs>